Welcome to Ojibwe Stories, Gaganunidida, a program of Ojibwe language and culture. In this episode, we have a conversation with Richard Smith, an elder of the Lakudre Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, who talks about his experiences serving in the U.S. Navy in World War II, followed by a few years of service in the U.S. Army. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you got in the service in the Second World War and where you were at and things like that. Uh, the name is Richard Smith, and uh, I'm from uh, LCO, and uh, I was... Uh, 17 when I went into uh, during World War II and went into the uh, Navy. Uh, went through Great Lakes, Illinois, and they put us, uh, we got done there. They put us in a big building and we was waiting there for uh, orders to, uh, there must have been a thousand sailors in there and all getting their orders and they'd call your name out and you'd be heading out somewhere. They had me to California, and I went down to a, a place down there and by Stockton, California, and uh, uh, got a ship out of there. And uh, LST, what a, a landing ship tanks that uh, carries tanks and uh, uh, the deck, the main, main deck, and... Uh, we had a crew of about 115. The crew was, uh, well, electricians and motor max and gunner's mates. And I was a, a gunner on a 20 millimeter. That's a anti-aircraft gun. And we traveled in convoys, pick up Marines in Pearl Harbor and load up with supplies and about 400 Marines came aboard, and we went to uh, the Gilbert Islands, had an invasion there, and we got done and went back to Pearl Harbor for another load, load of Marines, and we went to uh, Guam. Then uh, we went back to Pearl, and we loaded up again with 400 Marines, and I remember them Marines well. They were Marine Tank Battalion of the 3rd Marines, 3rd Marine Division. We uh, ended up there heading out for Iwo Jima. And uh, about a day out of Iwo Jima, we were just going along, and bang, uh, a suicide plane hit on the right-hand side of the ship, and we all got to our guns, and uh, there was another Jap plane coming in, and uh, all the guns were firing, and it, boy, when the, I didn't know where he was going to land, but uh, I see smoke coming out of a fuselage there, and oh, boy, that, that looked good, because that, he went into the, crashed into the sea. Then we uh, we went ashore, Unloaded all the Marines and the tanks and all that. And, and about the second or third day, was I was standing on the, on the deck there looking up at Mount Sarabachi. That's that mountain there where they raise the American flag. 
And uh, I was lucky enough to witness that with a pair of binoculars and and, and we got we uh, ended up we went to uh, Korea then yeah wasn't much there in them days it was a poor country and and we went to uh, Japan Tokyo Bay they call it and here was the USS Missouri was there with where the peace documents were signed. Boy, that, what a, that was an impressive-looking ship compared to what we were. <laughs> but uh, I didn't feel so bad with going along, and we had five Japanese flags painted on our conning tower, the ones, the uh, planes that we knocked down. Then, then we went to Yokohama, and we... Uh, we was in a harbor there, and we got past it to go ashore. And uh, one good thing that the war was over, and and they never bothered us, and uh, they just accepted the peacetime. And then one day we uh, got orders to uh, leave our ship, and uh, we went ashore and. Uh, they had us put us on a big troop transport that was going back to the States, going back to America. And boy, was that a crowded ship. We only got uh, two meals a day, and one was a bowl of soup and an apple, and that was what you got. There was so many troops aboard. So we uh, finally got in San Diego, and... Next day, we all got in a big line. Oh, boy, that was nice. Uh, nice pork chops and milk, which we don't never had. And milk was, uh, oh, man, that was uh, something else there. Then we we got on a troop train then, going back to America with the, <laughs> uh, Great Lakes, Illinois. We were getting discharged. They were open 24 hours a day getting... Sending sailors home, boy, that was uh, that was some train ride from uh, California to uh, Great Lakes. Then uh, we got discharged, and uh, I decided I was going to go and see New York City. I had uh, I got paid off from my discharge papers, my uh, my discharge time, and overseas duty time, and and got paid for that, and I got on that train and ended up in New York City, up in Times Square. Uh, I got off the train there, and I didn't know where to go. I had a suitcase, and I was just thinking, I said, where the heck am I going to go? So, And then a guy walked up to me. He, he, he was a Indian guy. He knew I was too, and so he said, where are you from? I told him I was from Wisconsin. He said, I'm from Oklahoma. He said, I I live here all. I can get you a room, you know, up in my hotel there. So that's where I uh, spent my summer in New York City, Times Square, 42nd and Broadway. What a place. Then I... Uh, in late August, I hadn't been home for about two or three years, so I decided to go home and got on a Greyhound bus and 
headed to Chicago. And believe it or not, I was walking up the street there. Here, and met my brother and another guy. What a, what a, oh, you know, in big Chicago, you wanted, how can that happen? But it did. And then I went home. I stayed a couple of days and went back home. <laughs> um, so how long was your enlistment then? A couple of years or? Well, uh, I was in uh, two years and ten months. Huh. Yeah. Then I uh, I hung around Chicago for about a, about a year. Uh, well, things were kind of tough then. Eisenhower was in and he couldn't hardly get a job. So this guy said, why don't you join the Army? So he'd come and see me every uh, weekend and... Uh, so I did. I joined the army and uh, went to the uh, basic training with the 101st Airborne down in Kentucky. That's where I spent my basic training, and I put in three years in the army and different camps I went to. And the best camp I was at was uh, Fort Sheridan, Fort Sheridan, Illinois. Boy, that was just can't beat a place like that. Never wanted to get out. And why was that? Was it just they had nice, uh, what was nice about it? Oh, and, uh, a nice place to stay and no uh, nice floor and uh, brick building. and uh, You could go this to Milwaukee one way and mm-hmm. or go to Chicago the other way. They're right in between, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, quite a place. This is Ojibwe Stories Gaganunidida, a program of Ojibwe Stories and Culture. Our guest today is Richard Smith, an elder of the Lakoudere Band of the Lake Superior Chippewa, who talks about his experiences serving in the Navy in World War II, followed by a few years of service in the U.S. Army. I was wondering a little bit about um, prior to enlisting, you were in... Uh, School at Flandreau. I wonder if you could talk oh, a little bit about that. that. Uh, yeah, that Indian school in uh, Flandreau, South Dakota, and I was on a varsity boxing team there. And every Friday night, we won fight somewhere, and it was a good experience. Uh, a lot of I had four hundred and some students there, and, and uh, all that from Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota. Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa. Yeah, they uh, come from all over there in that area. Had some good athletes there too. Uh, in that time, in fact, one year they won the state basketball championship. And that's hard to do, you know, for any any team. I remember I was going to, uh, I went to the movie that one one Sunday, and uh, we was getting back to the school, and people were saying Pearl Harbor was bombed. I said, where the, I didn't know where Pearl Harbor was, but hardly anybody did. Well, overnight, uh, the whole country turned and uh, was on a war footing then, and uh, all the older guys were heading out, was left us young kids there. Uh, because you were under 18 when Pearl Harbor happened? or Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was only uh, 16, 15 mm. or 16. 
and the uh, war was on and all the older guys left hmm. and uh, then our football team just like that is <laughs> no more yeah. but all we had then was a boxing team and yeah we went to this one town to fight the army but uh, all those young kids it was only 14, uh, 15, and 16, and <laughs> fighting the old guys. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, quite a life. Hmm. When did you go to Flandre? What age? Uh, 1940. Hmm. That was a long time ago. Let's see, in 41, you know, Pearl Harbor was. And How was that adjustment going from, because uh, you were living at LCO then before that, right? You mean uh, before on the reservation, and before you went to Flambeau, you were living on the reservation. Yeah. Uh, so was that a, a, a tough adjustment, or no? That was. Uh, that was. Uh, were you glad to get out of the yeah, small town? Glad to get off the reservation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The, you know, I, I worked on a farm uh, before. Uh, I was just a kid, fourteen, I think. Fifty cents a day on the farm. <laughs> Well, that's how bad how bad it was, and uh, that's what they're mostly was paying. And uh, boy, that well, you could buy a ice cream cone for a nickel, a coke, candy bar, all for a nickel. But you don't have no nickel. <laughs> and then you were saying the other day you kind of continued boxing, right? After uh, you were in the service. And... Yeah, I, uh, yeah, they would. We said boxing shows on the ship there. And, and uh, I'd fight the <laughs> fight anybody. <laughs> oh man, I, I had some battles there with some of the older guys and bigger guys than me, but I stuck with them. Mm-hmm. So did you did you have like a record or? No, I didn't. oh <laughs> you didn't keep track. No, of... <laughs> I just just went in there and put on a show and. Whenever you talk a little bit about kind of your adult life and how you came to Chicago. Oh, yeah, I was home, and uh, I stayed till about November. And I decided I got to do something, so I uh, went to Chicago, and believe it or not, I got a job there right away. I don't know, this guy was in there. He wanted guys for the Curtis Candy Company, so... So I went over there and worked for them for till past Christmas, and uh, then I decided to want something else. So uh, I decided to go to school. I went to uh, auto auto mechanic school. Then I got a job in uh, Hertz Rent a Car. You ever hear of Hertz Rent a Car? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, quite a adventure there. They were. They had twelve hundred cars. We had to take care of, and a lot of experiences there I had for Hertz. One time, I got a call. Uh, There's a car on the south side, got no tires and no battery and uh, no keys. Somebody had stripped the tires off it and jacked it up and. So I, I got this black guy. I said, I'm going to the south side. I might as well take him. <laughs> so I told him, get four tires. And 
I had a key maker. I made a key for that. And a battery I threw in there, and we brought the car home. <laughs> and so you lived down there quite a few years, right, before yeah, you came well, back to LCO? Yeah, uh, 19, 1946 to 72. 72, I came back home. And how was that? Was there a little bit of adjustment there, going from the big city back to small town? Or? Well, it's always a... <laughs> yeah... This is Ojibwe Stories Gaganunidida, a program of Ojibwe Stories and Culture. Our guest today is Richard Smith, an elder of the Lakota Band of the Lake Superior Chippewa, who talks about his experiences serving in the Navy in World War II, followed by a few years of service in the U.S. Army. Did you meet many other uh, Indian people in the service, and how, did, how, how was that kind of... Well, uh, uh, we were... Uh... There was another ship tied up to us, and I seen two guys looking at me. They were out on the deck over there, and I said, they looked like Indians to me. So I went over and talked to them. I said, uh, they was having a boxing show that afternoon, and uh, I said, I'm going to fight. Uh, this guy said, I am too. I'm, uh, I was a uh, Oregon state champion, he says. Well, he didn't look like it, <laughs> but... He fought some guy, and holy man, that guy, he threw punches from every direction. And man, I could see where he won the state championship. Yeah, I roomed with the state bantamweight champion. He was a Sioux, and him and I would spar once in a while. Boy, <laughs> I couldn't get nothing out of him, boy. He'd want to knock me out. <laughs> Didn't laugh about it. <laughs> And then back then, too, the were the um, the units kind of segregated, like uh, black people were in their own unit. And overseas, yeah, no, uh, no, they weren't. Uh, that happened in 1948. Okay, uh, the army started letting blacks in among the troops, and mm -hmm. yeah, overseas they. Did. There was uh, the blacks, all the mostly weight on the officers, you know, and cook a meal and serve them, you know, and that was what they did. Mm -hmm. There was was there any ever trouble or discrimination with being, you know, an Indian person in like basically the white unit or? Oh, once in a while, some. <laughs> when I uh, when I was in the army there, and I was a sergeant, you know, and. This one guy, I said, you, uh, I was ahead of a detail, and he, he said, I don't have to listen to you, Sarge. I said, hey, uh, that's, I'm in charge here. I said, let's go behind the barracks here and settle it. <laughs> uh, he don't want cross the jaw, and he <laughs> said, <"What?" laughs> uh, yeah, you're right, Sarge. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, went, uh, one time we were down in Baltimore, and I was the army down there, and we weren't going to this carnival. The three of us were together, you know, and uh, all of a sudden this guy in the back was sitting back there, uh, one of our buddies there, and he's arguing with this one guy, a hillbilly it looked like. So uh, he got off and followed us. He said, I'll take all you guys on one at a time or the whole bunch. 
all three of you, he said. I said, I told him, guys, let me, let me take him on. <laughs> so I let him swing at me, he missed, and I hit him across the jaw and knocked him out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, them guys said, how would you learn that, Smitty? I just never told him, you know. No, there wasn't too much uh, that I know of. Not notice. They accepted me and... Mm -hmm. Did your parents uh, speak Ojibwe or...? My folks spoke Ojibwe, but I don't know where they got the idea that uh, uh, not to teach our children how to speak. Because uh, I was the only one that spoke Ojibwe because uh, hmm. I lived with my grandparents. And that's all they sp we spoke is Ojibwe, you know. We, never, we didn't speak English hardly. Mm -hmm. And then when I uh, left, my folks' uh, grandfather died. Later on, I went to live with my parents then, you know, and they would speak to each other, but they wouldn't let their kids understand them, you know. And, oh, that was, no, that was really bad. Hmm. That was a sad thing, they, not to teach your kids, you know. Mm -hmm. And how much of that can you remember of, Oji of your grandparents speaking Ojibwe? Well, too many years I, uh, I left there and then I never had anybody to speak to. Right. And uh, gradually I lost some of it, some of it, you know. Which is a sad thing, you know, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my grandma had a Bible in Chippewa, Ojibwe, and she'd read us out of that Bible, a Chippewa Bible, and I thought that was something, you know, holy man, that was... That's all the time we have for today. We'd like to thank our guest, Richard Smith, for sharing his stories with us. Smith is an elder of the Lakudre Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Indians. He's talked about his experience serving in the U.S. Navy in World War II, followed by years of service in the U.S. Army as well. This is Ojibwe Stories Gaganunda. I'm your host, Eric Reddix. Our technical producer is Chris Harwood. To listen again to past episodes of Ojibwe Stories Gaganunda, visit the programs page at KUMD.org and click on Ojibwe Stories. Ojibwe Stories Gaganunda is produced by KUMD and the Tribal Sovereignty Institute at the University of Minnesota Duluth home of the Master of Tribal Administration and Governance, or MTAG, program, where students learn about leadership, law, sovereignty, and management from a tribal perspective. MTAG was designed by tribes for tribes, currently accepting applications for fall enrollment. More information can be found at umdmtag.org. Funding for Ojibwe Stories Gaganunada is provided in part by the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council and by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Yeah.